0: We live in a violent and turbulent world, and traditions all over the globe have struggled to reconcile this truth with hope for a better way. Some have turned away from violence. Some have buried their heads in the sand, insisting only an act of God can bring peace. This is Logosish. Today we talked to Reverend Roger Hudson about how we can use martial arts, Christianity, and community to make our homes more peaceful. Hey guys, welcome back to Logos-ish. This is John. I am here joined by Sarah and Garrett, two of my favorite people in the whole world. Though, <laughs> if we're counting, Sarah, do you count like as two people currently? Is that a thing?
1: Uh, that's a good question, actually.
0: Um, it's one and a half, John. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't
1: take that like bad one and a half.
0: 1.33 like does it change depending on how far along you are?
1: I don't know he's like half cooked I guess I'm, he's, I'm over halfway done so
0: all the members of my family are a little half baked <laughs> oh,
1: great Our that's a great way to
2: hands. put it,
1: <laughs>
2: Garrett how are you today? I'm doing really well I got my second uh, vaccination so I am working through uh, the vaccination hangover as it's been lovingly called um, and I can attest to but uh, it's been a it's been a pretty good eventful day so
0: glad to be on fun stuff is that Sarah who coined the vaccination hangover
2: term are uh, we giving
0: you credit no, for that I think
1: so I'm, I'm sure I heard it somewhere it certainly felt like a I think that might
2: be a Brian Elrod uh, mm. um, description of it so We'll have to have him back on to explain it. Sometime in the near future, we will definitely have
0: Brian back on. But today we have a very exciting guest, and our guest is Reverend Roger Hudson. He is a United Methodist minister out of Spokane, Washington, in the Pacific Northwest Conference of the Church.
1: Pacific. (laughs) I can't pronounce anything
0: right. Pacific. Roger, are. how are you doing today? Take it away and and take away my humiliation, please.
3: <laughs> Hi, um, John, Sarah, Garrett. Um, thanks so much good. for the invitation to be with you. Uh, it's certainly uh, good to see the two of you again because the last time was when was that? About two or three years ago in New yeah, Orleans.
1: It was uh, Lead UMC in New Orleans.
0: I think it was January 2018.
1: Oh wow! Okay.
3: <laughs> yeah. But I'm doing well. Um, just so glad that uh, spring is finally here and things are warming up. I think winter, because of COVID, it's just seemed to be drag and drag and drag. So, so nice to have sunshine in the Pacific Northwest. But yeah, thrilled to be here and thrilled to be talking about nonviolence with, with uh, some fellow,
1: um,
3: well, you guys are the practitioners of, uh, of a martial art.
1: Oh, just John, really? Uh, (laughs) Yes,
2: yeah. I I watch other people practice martial arts, so I don't count my days before I was 12
0: to that.
3: (laughs) Right.
2: So, Roger, you have a really
0: interesting story. Would you be willing to share a little bit of it with our
3: audience? Sure be glad to, John. So, I... Graduated with my Master of Divinity degree from Perkins School of Theology, Southern Methodist University back in 86 and served under Episcopal appointment for two years, um, close to three, and went back to South Africa um, in December of 89. My wife and I, Carla, um, were sent to a mission station called Ndaleni. There's no translation of that word in Daleni, it's just a place, but it's a Zulu name. Um, and it's in uh, close to the city of, of Durban, inland from Durban. And little did we know that we were going to a place where there was, uh, during the, the move from, from apartheid to, to a free country, little did we know that it was really a hotspot of protest against, uh, against apartheid. So we found ourselves immersed in literally a wall all around us. Um, the mission station was on a hill. Above us were the uh, Ahmad Kabane. Um, known as the Comrades, affiliated with the ANC. Below us were, were the uh, Encarta Freedom Party, affiliated with the more conservative and apartheid-aligned um, Zulu uh, folk. Um, and these folk did not like each other, so there were frequent um, outbreaks of violence. Um, and in one case, it was very, very bad, and thousands of the residents, you know, had to leave this area. Of course, this was still apartheid, so you had black neighborhoods and white neighborhoods and colored neighborhoods and Indian neighborhoods. So the black people lived in this rural area and that was where Carla and I went and lived. So inevitably the, it wasn't a choice to get involved in peacemaking because there was just so much violence. And the sad thing was that Methodists were on both sides, you know, uh, killing each other, which is pretty sad. But uh, anyway, we got involved to the degree that we could. But I think the biggest the biggest um, frustration and learning was that we in the Christian church are just woefully ill-prepared to be peacemakers. You know, um, we hear blessed are the peacemakers. Um, we hear turn the other cheek and all these wonderful teachings, but that infrequently as well. You know, when last did you and I preach a sermon on blessed are the peacemakers and turn the other cheek? Never mind coach people like Dr. Martin Luther King would have during the civil rights struggle, how to actually, how do we actually be nonviolent in, uh, in, in violent situations? So woefully ill-prepared. But the one story which I, I'm assuming you um, are referring to is that one where, as a peacemaker, as a monitor, I, being a minister with the with clerical collar and knowing people on both sides, I had some fair, fairly free free movement. So I was able to go in and out of the war zones um, and uh, these young guys with homemade guns would see me coming and, you know, they would just wave me through. And so it was in an area called Kwamagorda, and there were these two young policemen. Now, at that stage in South Africa, um, white apartheid would just take young white men out of high school give them almost like two or three months I think of training and call them policemen and put them out into the field so terribly young terribly ill equipped and inexperienced uh, and these two kids were standing there and suddenly you know we we heard a uh, two, two two or three rifle shots bah, bah, bah. this one kid turned to the other and said there they've got another one You know, I didn't I didn't know. I think I was so naive at that time uh, because I was, you know, fairly young as well. And for 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 a hit squad to be functioning right there just seemed beyond belief. But I suspected what what was going on. So I walked down into the valley and came across a police uh, mortuary wagon. And as it turned, it, they, they're not roads in these areas, so it's just really dirt dirt, dirt paths, so to speak. And as it turned, it kind of whopper jawed and out of the back just poured blood, you know and and at that stage, the penny dropped for me. The, this these guys that were down there were walking single file from from homestead to homestead, were literally there for one purpose. and if they found, a resident, they would just simply kill them and load up the bodies. They wanted to sweep the area of, uh, of ANC supporting people, basically, so it was the Encounter Freedom Aligned Party. And so I spoke to who I thought was in charge and just made my presence known. And immediately when they saw a collar, they kind of, the white, the white white policeman leading it just kind of paused because they didn't want any publicity. But that started this soul searching, you know, how do we as Christians involve ourselves in more, more, more directly in peacemaking? And it's not something that we can put, you know, anybody through for two months like the, like the apartheid government tried to put young young men through to to have policemen. I think it's got to be at the very core of our discipleship, um, and so that began to um, make me think that we as young men, you know, um, are. are I don't know, genetically wired, perhaps, to want to be warriors. You know, we want to be king of the hill and the playground. We want to run fastest, et cetera, et cetera. And we can't pretend that that's not there. So how do we take that perfectly natural inclination in particularly young boys A, acknowledge that it's there, but then also channel it in a constructive direction, ending from a Christian point of view as people um, percentage wise, at least of those of those kids that might go through to really getting to the point of understanding that, you know, violence does not redeem. Uh, it is only the suffering, nonviolent love of God that has any hope of breaking the the spiral of violence and turning the corner towards the kingdom. Yeah, so that's where it started. And um, you're a martial artist, John. And, you know, karate, yes, judo and kung fu and all these things, but was introduced through my reading. I think of Walter Wink, he mentions Aikido. Aikido, I is harmony. Key is spirit, door is way. So the way of the harmonious spirit, and he was a master swordsman. And I'm not sure what his what his original uh, discipline was, but he began to develop a nonviolent form.
0: Are you talking about Morihei Ueshiba?
3: Yeah, yeah. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce that name. Morihei Ueshiba. Yeah. <laughs> I,
0: I am. I am guessing at best. Uh, I've never heard anybody who speaks Japanese pronounce it. But yeah, he he was well versed in a, a variety of traditional uh, samurai martial disciplines, and I think he had a little bit of a, a, a disagreement on how to pursue and preserve those compared to the um, state-sponsored schools at the time. That's that's purely recollection. I have I don't have anything beyond that. I don't think.
3: Right. Right. Yeah, so 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 something happened in his life, and I, I I've read some of his biographies, and I can't remember the detail. But he he turned towards an appreciation of nonviolence, um, so much so that in spite of training generals, because this guy was lethal apparently as a martial artist, just incredibly good, like the best in the in, in Japan apparently, um, and he and he trained you know the 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 officers of the Japanese army. But when the Second World War broke out, he went back to the country because he did not believe um, in the use of violence. And so he actually lived it out in his own national situation as well, that uh, violence does not does not redeem. So anyway, he developed it, and my thought was, you know, let's let's think church. I think one of one of our problems um, or challenges in the church is that we we've we've separated you know spirit from matter, um, and how do we get back to an integrated approach to spirituality, body, mind, and spirit? And so this, in part, might be a way of discipling ourselves and our children uh, in a body, mind, and spirit way. Where let's let's use the illustration um, of of kids. Kids arrive at the, at your church, my church. They enter the the dojo, the uh, the young the younger kids uh, is what I've seen in karate in one of my churches in South Africa would arrive early and they would sweep the floors, and then when the time was right the sensei would clap his hands and everybody would jump into line and he would say something and they would respond. So say our kids arrive to the Methodist Youth Group um, Kikido session. You know, they would follow a similar routine and John would get up front and would say, blessed are the peacemakers, and they would respond, for they shall be the children of God. Then uh, maybe maybe a story uh, illustrating the power of nonviolence over violence. And then they actually begin to rehearse a martial art. And so they, in a sense, by doing, you know, learning martial art, aren't we doing some shadow work? Because there's a violent warrior in all of us. And so connections could be made, facilitated in that sense, and then at the end, that sword, which I had at that speak, that talk in New Orleans, and uh, it's placed um, on a vertical to make a cross. Uh, but they just simply say the mantra, say no to the way of the sword, yes to the way of the Lord. And so you just weave in body, mind, and spirit and teach towards the way of the cross, which is, which is nonviolent and in favor of justice.
0: Yeah, I think that's really powerful. And it's really, I think, a wonderful way to begin a kind of marriage of a variety of different cultural things. You know, when we practice and and talk about philosophy in Kendo, you know, the big thing that developed over time as Kendo became less of a practice of learning actually how to use a sword to kill people, they, they began to find other ways to validate and value this practice. And one of the big ones was this notion of sharpening the self of sort of doing of doing away with the non-essentials and the things that make us rough individuals and so it became a process of self-improvement and came to be viewed as in a very zen sort of way that focus on a uh, kind of Im- self-improvement aiming towards a kind of you know more enlightenment of various kinds and so ultimately the goal of kendo then became not killing the enemy but instead killing your own ego mm. and so it, it it adopted some some various buddhist tenets along the way and in fact became uh, the national sport and pastime and went on to become uh, a, something that was used as a, a tool for peace work and sending out a kind of uh, ambassadors ahead of other kinds of, of cultural exchange. So, you know, today, Kendo is one of the most organized and together, I would say, <laughs> martial arts and in the world it's it's actually really unique how little like political arguments have been around in in those spheres
1: and for our listeners who are not so versed in martial arts kendo is um japanese sword fighting yes
0: yeah so it's it's ken which means sword and do which means way and so so judo has a a similar kind of thing to it where it's it's the gentle way Oh. (laughs) and jujitsu is the gentle art It's not so gentle. Neither of them feel very (laughs) gentle.
2: (laughs) That's uh, really interesting because I know that at least why my parents slash grandparents said I went to karate and to practice martial arts when I was younger was to first uh, give me something to do out of the house. Number one, get them out of get me out of their hair, um, but also Practice disciplines. And it's very rigorous and organized, like you said. And it just calls to mind some of my experiences in visiting monastic places and how their day is very uh, rigid and organized and extremely nonviolent. Very, very, uh, other than maybe those poor vegetables that they harvest and prepare for meals, uh, not a lot of things are going on, um, but it's very, much about the self-improvement and things like that. I can only hear some of the critiques from sort of like the outside to say that, you know, doesn't this create some sort of conflict? You know, you're teaching folks how to practice martial arts, but you're also saying that this is going to help improve nonviolence. So like, it's a violent act and how can you do that? So how would you respond to that, maybe you can elaborate on on a way that you can respond.
3: Yeah, thanks Garrett. It does seem like such a contradiction, doesn't it? Teaching nonviolence by teaching a uh, a form of kind of uh, violent art. Um, But in actual fact, I think the history of Aikido as I've just shared it briefly, uh, that would be the beginning point that this is a man who developed Aikido specifically as a a form of nonviolent martial art and the way i the way um i've heard it explained to me and i'm not a master at aikido at all i've taken um about two years of it kind of like you gareth you know a little bit i just wanted to do some physical exploration of it when i was uh, in south africa so when when there's a wrist lock or a throw uh was 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 very careful uh, to make sure that um, the wrist bent in the in the direction that it normally went to, not against, you know, that it would cause too much pain. And so, all of the moves um, are, are are designed mainly to to win your enemy uh, and cause your en- enemy to become a friend. That's the way it's put. And so, it's mainly a control and very very little attack punching or anything like that uh it's more the attacker comes in and you're trained to 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 take that the attacker's center um and and in something called the dynamic circle to cause that person to be neutralized Uh, and so the whole the whole intention is to is to win the enemy as friend and just defend yourself
2: yeah that's a really it's a really lightning way to put it so um it definitely does kind of make
3: sense but maybe you know like gandhi and like king and like jesus one would have to say that 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 this is not true nonviolence you know nonviolence would be loving your enemy and perhaps not even not even doing that and i think what i would say simply in answer to that is that at least we would begin to disciple our children right now i think a lot of us don't even understand the nature of the cross you know that that unmerited suffering willingly endured as the will of God redeems an ungodly situation. Uh, that's kind of you know the message of, of the gospel, love of enemies um, turns turns us uh, towards peace. We 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 don't get that, and this could become a medium for many of us who who struggle to understand that to suddenly begin to ask very intentionally the question: Well, now this is this is self defense in order to win your enemy. Yes, but Sensei, you're also saying that maybe this is not necessary if you truly want to be like Jesus. And so at least you can have the conversation.
0: Yeah, Roger, it's really striking to me too, especially after hearing your story, how little many of us understand about the actual nature of violence. You know, we've all grown up on various kinds of movies and films, often that are full of violent imagery that is wild and are full of incredible special effects, but with fairly minimal consequences for the characters that we're supposed to care about. And so when we get into spheres that involve martial disciplines or into circumstances where we encounter violence, I think it does also change our perspective on these sorts of things. You know, it forces you to go from a passive receiver of entertainment to somebody who, who really on a physical embodied level, like understands what's going on. You know, if if you've ever, (laughs) if you've never been in a a really serious wrist lock and you feel it for the first time or an arm bar or what have you, or hit on the head, that one moment will change your perspective on things. (laughs) I think it'll help you to appreciate the more extreme forms and, and know, I think that you don't want to get to that point as well.
3: Yeah, and, and I think also, that's a, that's a great point, but I think also creatively, you know, we could incorporate various aspects of liturgy. And one of the things that I shared with the folk in, in New Orleans was something that I saw on YouTube of all places, John Denver, he in the middle of a concert just paused and he says, hey, I went on a quest, a horseback ride with some First Nations people and one of them taught me how to pray the Lord's Prayer. And he prayed the Lord's Prayer, you know, with sign language. And he got to that, po- that point where he said, lead us the, the way, lead us not, sort of a wagging of a finger, into temptation. And you put your hands to one side and you look away so that you, you know, you're not tempted. But then the next, per- the next line really kind of excites me. You go to where your sword is kept. But deliver us and you draw it and you throw it in the direction from which temptation comes. Deliver us from evil. And so by throwing the sword, uh, which is a symbol of violence and killing and taking life, by throwing it away, you're identifying that as evil. Lead us not into, t- lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. And you, you know, you throw the sword away. And so if one were to end a session where the kids actually did that, they would begin to make a very direct link with, uh, and and they might've done some sword work as well, in addition to Aikido, you know, and uh, Moriai was a master swordsman. So they would make the direct link that not only did Moriai turn his back on the use of the sword, but all forms of violence uh, is evil. And the other thing I, I love, you know, I did a little research and prep for this, and I remember reading Shane Claiborne's book, and he, he has a, a, a statistic which just amazes me. You know that's that video game Call of Duty? Uh, more than 25 billion hours have been logged on the video game Call of Duty. That's 2.85 million years. In fact, Call of Duty players collectively log some 1,300 years of gameplay every day. 1,300 years of gameplay every day. Imagine the generative things that could be done with 1,300 years worth of time every day. So if we pulled our kids from playing Call of Duty, at least part of the time, you know, to a way which actually, because of the the subtext, of course, of Call of Duty is precisely what our culture is, raises all of us to believe, you know, that violence redeems. And so at least we're saying, no, we as Christians, if we want to truly be followers of Christ, we don't buy that. Uh, We believe that nonviolence is what redeems, and love of enemy redeems.
1: When you talked about the embodiment aspect of martial arts earlier, Uh, And now I'm putting it in the context of with like a video game where you are out of your body and you are in a fantasy where violence and strength are glorified, etc. Sorry, this is just all, I saw your talk in in New Orleans and I loved it, but this is all kind of coming together for the first time that being able to really feel and experience um, what it is to attack and to be attacked in a situation that is controlled it seems like a very useful thing to teach all people. Sorry, yeah. I'm not articulating myself very well, but uh, this is really cool work, and it kind of makes me want to take up martial arts.
3: And you know, Sarah, I think the the other aspect that we need to take seriously in the West, because we lead such sedentary lives, is, is linking with our spirituality, just movement, exercise. You know, so if we were to offer, not just for kids, uh, but for, for people of all ages some kind of a martial art, and what I'm doing now is Tai Chi. So we have Tai Chi happening in the in the gym at, at, at church. Uh, and it's not it's not Aikido. Uh, but that's okay, so we begin with the Lord's Prayer, you know, praying it um, and uh, throwing the sword away. We do um, a, a warm-up exercise, which is great for uh, for limbering up and uh, keeping the muscles in tone. And then we're learning, um, you know, a number of the different forms um, of Tai Chi, um, and then we end, we can go on, we're not doing this yet, but uh, can go on to do sword work and Joe work, but it's all just great exercise. So it's it's body, um, it's mind, because there's a lot that one can learn about this, uh, but it's also a, a, a Christian spirituality as well, or a spirituality of love, yeah, not just unique to Christ. Does
1: it ever feel like nonviolence is too great of a leap in a culture that at times feels so very violent?
3: yeah yeah i i know i know there's there many moments when i just despair you know gosh who is it john dominic Crossan writes a book and he shares how in the second world war um some partisans in greece um, rose up against some lo- some german soldiers and in response, the Gestapo moved in, and this young lieutenant, I think he must have been like 23, 24 years old, said to his SS troops, you've got three days, do what you want. And just the most incredible uh, violence, you know, women pregnant, just gutted, intestines wrapped around their heads, their necks rather, just incredible stories as John Dominic uh, Croissant kind of shared that story. And he goes on to say, he says, you know, civilization is supposed to save us from such barbarism, even in situations of war. But the big question is, what's going to save us from civilization? Mm -hmm. And then he goes on to point out that, you know, if you can, you can look at it kind of documented in Genesis. Cain kills Abel. And then one of the descendants of Cain kind of develops bronze and moves into the city. Um, and of course, with bronze comes more lethal weapons. And as uh, the city states develop, they've got to protect their, their crops, et cetera, et cetera. And so you get the chariot. And of course, eventually, um, you get the supersonic jet fighter and of course, the nuclear bomb. And who knows what's waiting us. So it just seems as if more and more lethal forms of weaponry uh, come along with civilization. So, And into that context, of course, step Jesus you know uh, the 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 incredible brutality of the roman empire so what so the so it's a really really important question what's going to save us from civilization and I, and i think the the gospel uh, is an answer but we in the west uh, unlike the east uh, have got a, uh, got a spin on it, which, which, which yeah, doesn't lend itself to, to, to um, the message of peace and nonviolence, um, which we could get into, but that's uh, <laughs> another whole theological treatise. But what's going to save us from civilization? I think Jesus has turned the other cheek, love your enemy. Mm-hmm. In a sense, we can't give up, hey? And, and I think we've got to look at the really good examples of people who have turned history. Mahatma Gandhi, or well, Jesus, of course, uh, Martin Luther King Jr., you know, and others like him, Oscar Romero, South of Us.
0: Yeah, I think those are important examples to bring up, too, because, you know, one of the questions that I both get and grapple with is around the the practicalities of nonviolence. And how do you create positive, healthy change when you exist in a place or a space where you know the rules are stacked against you or the materials and the possessions and the resources are stacked against you and and how do you create a more just truly peaceful because you know martin luther king jr had the distinction between the positive peace and the negative peace with one just being an absence of violence and just dis- and you know messiness and wanton destruction, but the positive piece being something that is not just an absence, but a presence of real true justice. So, you know, I I do go around in circles wondering occasionally about how do we find new and innovative ways to introduce uh, nonviolent solutions and, and to keep people's attention when it comes to making the slow, steady progress that's necessary for real change that makes a difference in people's lives.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And of course, John, you know, nonviolence has, has got so much more to do, you know, it doesn't just involve people obviously, but in this, in this time of climate change, it has to do with, with, with how we relate to creation as well. And so in a sense, we're talking about, you know, what is the very heart of the gospel? Is it a loving, kind, gentle, um, and yet spiritually tough uh, faith? Or is it a, a faith which accommodates to um, the local culture that buys into the myth that violence redeems? Um, and there's some good, good, good things emerging. I mean, you know, all we need to do is, is read uh, guys like uh, Brian McLaren. And I don't know if, you, if you've read many of his books, but he and uh, Gareth Higgins, an Irishman who grew up in the Troubles in, in Ireland, um, have written a little book called, and it's for children, but really it's a children's book for, for adults, called Corey and the Seventh Story. And uh, do you have it, Sarah?
1: No, but I'm about to buy it. <laughs>
3: uh, so here, here it is, right here. That's what it looks like. Corey, for those of you who are listening, just showing the cover of this book. But but it's uh it's it's about a little raccoon, um, and it identifies six six stories that we live by. You know, one is power, and then those that don't have power obviously uh, want revenge. And one of the one of the six stories is greed. Um, another one is victimization, rather than finding agency to do something about your victim and, um, you know, you just spend your time feeling victim, victimized. But those are the six stories that the world lives by. But then there's the seventh story. And the seventh story is, is 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 very much a um, a kingdom vision. But but the, the exciting thing is that they've started a a movement which I'm a part of. It's called the uh, the new story uh, festival in Austin, Texas, every year, and it's going to be in September this year. But Gareth and uh, Mike Claassen uh, kind of headed it up, and I've just been asked to kind of join the the national kind of advisory committee on that, which is pretty exciting. But the whole focus there is. Um, how do we live the seventh story? And the neat thing about it is that for you and I as Christians, we can bring our particularity. Our Richard Raw, you know, we understand um, uh, through through uh, through Christ the revelation uh, as Christ was revealed in Jesus. But because the focus of these small groups is three questions, you know, what's getting you down, uh, what's exciting you, and Have you seen the seventh story this past week and have you been able to engage it, the seventh story of of love and so on? And so potentially in a small group, you know, this is another Wesleyan, you know, the modern form of Wesleyan class meeting, potentially, you get together and you could get together with people of different faiths. And so we become respectful of people of other faiths. Um, and so we continue to, you know, to, to celebrate our, our, our particularity, namely um, Jesus Christ, but the focus is on action. And I think that's perhaps underlying your question, John, is is how do we act this nonviolent love and so it's framed in in a seventh story and gosh how do we yeah. How do we grow, you know, little porch circles everywhere where we intentionally focus on the nonviolent seven story principles?
0: Well, we totally didn't ask you to do this, but you just kind of summed up our last five episodes or so <laughs> and put them all together and and gave us sort of a wonderful little framing to work on. You've also given us another children's book to add to our children's book library for our child who is still several months away from being
2: born and several years away from <laughs> reading. <laughs> Oh, uh, you could start now, John. <laughs> Laurel and I are starting, so you know. Um,
1: That's
3: right, Garrett. We we did. Carla and I started when uh, when Stanton was still in the womb. I would uh, I would read, or Carla would read, and you know I claim that, and it's it's not unique to me, but I claim that that child knew my voice because he was he had to go for his you know to have his heel pricked, and he was just bawling, and Carla was holding him. And I just walked up, put my hand on him and said, OK, buddy, you're all right. He heard my voice and he just kept quiet immediately. But they do. They respond. So don't, don't wait. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's so beautiful. Yes, our, our last podcast guest was um, Garrett's wife, who um, is a Ph.D. in ecofeminism. And we talked a lot about domination of the earth and creation, the relationship to domination of women and violence and so on, et cetera.
0: Yeah, and we had Melanie Dobson on before that talking about various ways to, you know, practice different kinds of spiritual disciplines, but especially group spiritual direction. And she talked about a similar format, Roger, to what you were describing with the being in the circle and being asked the three questions. She had a fairly elaborate model for it that involved um, timing and silence and a number of other things. That's also a a fun episode to reference in terms
2: of practical questions related to that.
3: Oh, I'll have to uh, dig that one out. I haven't listened to that one.
2: Maybe the critique, well, not even the critique, but maybe the um, sadness that comes from the church not fully embodying, you know, this piece work and brings me to when we had Dwight on. And he says, like, one of the things that he misses seeing is the church just being able to respond in a meaningful way that builds what Jesus asked us to build, one peaceable place. So like if someone needed diapers, they wouldn't, uh, the church just wouldn't, he comes from, uh, his father was a, a minister of a church, but not only would the church get that person diapers that they would drive them there and upon delivering, be there and ask, you know, if they needed any other sort of spiritual assistance, you know, offering prayer or just presence or an ear or shoulder to lean on. So again, uh, your point about embodying these practices, embodying these spiritual disciplines, I think is also really important for us in the West to hear as well, connecting spirituality and, and our physical beings.
1: Yeah, I think we ignore it so much. We're very corporal embodied religion as Christians, you know, we worship a physical incarnated Lord. And, um, we sometimes forget that uh, we're supposed to be in our bodies, doing things with our bodies and not just waiting to go up to heaven.
0: I read somewhere that Christianity was a danced religion for the first several hundred years. I need to do a deeper dive into that.
1: A danced, like dancing. Huh? Cool.
3: Yeah. And you know, John, in, in San Francisco, there's Gregory of Nyssa um, Episcopal, Episcopal church. Are you familiar with that? Have you heard of it? interesting, You um, you go into it, and I haven't been there. I've just you can go you can Google their uh, their uh, website, but Gregory of Nissa Episcopal Church, and they employed um, Mark Dukes, who's a wonderful artist, to paint um, ninety saints. And Gregory of Nyssa had a fairly universal theology in terms of um, who who was a saint and who wasn't a saint. Um, So the congregation actually identified up to, I think, 200 to 250 people who they felt just embodied certain values that needed to be lifted up. Um, And then they pared it down to the 90, and uh, these were the ones that were painted. But Mahatma Gandhi is up there uh, dancing with the universal Christ, as is Archbishop Tutu, John Muir, care of creation, so what we've done at Covenant is we've just lifted, we've just begun to recognize that Christians really shouldn't, shouldn't have heroes. We have saints. And it is, it, it, it is the saints' values that we want to, to, to see as heroic. And so we'd, we're trying to, to kind of, we've, we've got Mahatma Gandhi in, a, in one of our towers around the peace cranes that we hang for every mass shooting. We've got Martin Luther King Jr. We've got, um, anyway, uh, but we wanted to, to, to lift up those saints that took creation care seriously and non-violence seriously um, as a way of including non-violence and creation care into the vocabulary of our church so that that would then be a, a is a prelude to to being much more active in terms of doing non-violence and creation care but if we don't lift up the stories of these saints who do creation care and and, and non-violence um, then I think we we no wonder our people don't careful for creation, and don't know what nonviolence is, you know?
1: You mentioned the cranes, and I would love to hear more about that. Um, I, I mean, I know about it. I would love our listeners to hear more about that practice and where that oh,
3: Okay, so really this whole journey um, at Covenant, United Methodist Church in Spokane, started with this litany of mass shootings, you know, Um, and um, given my history, I mean, I I would just feel it uh, in, in, you know, this incredible sense of sadness that, oh, it's happened again. You know, I remember being in New York City visiting our sons, and uh, oh, I forget which one it was, but it, I think it was the French one, uh, Paris one, and uh, lots of people killed. And I said, "Okay, it's not here, but it's it's happened again." You know. But anyway, so we 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 wanted to do something to to register our protest that this is not the way. You know, it need, uh, things need to uh, to unveil in a uh, in any society, never mind a democratic, peace level. Uh, so-called peace-loving society. So we we thought, well, a thousand cranes usually symbolize peace, and we have some Japanese-American uh, folk who are members of our church, and so it was a natural to 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 fold peace cranes. And so we 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 invited everybody in the congregation to fold white ones. Um, and apparently, you need a thousand flying to symbolize peace because a young lady uh, in in one of the two cities that were bombed. Um, kind of started that practice so we folded the thousand hung those and then in the center of the 1,000 flying peace cranes white peace cranes we began to add um, I think since 82 1982 um, mass mass shootings. And so we, uh, we had 80 red cranes and each red crane had the name um, of the city where it happened, the date that it happened, and the number killed and the number wounded. And so I think we started off with between 80 and 90. Uh, since I've been here for five years, it's now well above 100. And it just keeps going up. And so it's a it's a very moving, it's a little side chapel in one of our two towers. And we have a weekly Wednesday prayer meeting where we pray for the congregation, but also for the world. Um, underneath these cranes and 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 now it's been made so much more meaningful by adding the copies of these icons um, of the universal saints who have who have names who have contexts and who have specific stories uh, to inspire us uh, inspire us with and the neat thing also sarah is that in that tower we've got huge kind of windows kind of it's an interesting church and so we we light up the windows with colored lights according to the Liturgical year, so the the white cranes change colour at night, um, you know, reflecting the tone of the liturgical year. And so we're just weaving the pain of the world into the liturgical narrative, uh, the celebration um, of the gospel. And it's a visual prayer as we look at the at the at the cranes, a visual prayer for peace. The challenge, though is the exact one that you were raising, John. Um, how do we now move from looking at something beautiful, praying for peace to uh, meaningful, meaningful action?
1: That's so beautiful.
3: <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm, I'm at an inter- interesting juncture in my own life. I, I um, have asked the bishop to appoint me to a year of discernment. So I'll be leaving Covenant in July. And my wife and I have just bought a, an electric vehicle because the idea of supporting the oil industry with all the damage that they're doing to the ecosphere and you know global warming being uh, the crisis that it is, just continuing to buy gas at the gas pump just became unbearable, intolerable to me. So I've named our car, Never Has, dot, dot, dot. Never has, never will visit a gas station, you know. <laughs> and it just gives me such palpable joy. It really is, and and I don't joke, it's a, it's a spiritual experience for me to drive this vehicle because I, I don't have to be complicit in the violence of the oil industry anymore when we drive that one. And we take it all on all of our long-range long, long range drives and Carla uses it because she has the longer commute. I'm just down the road. But 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 for this year, I also want to get my act together in terms of food production. So I'm a trained permaculture designer and, um, and putting in place my own food production. We've got chickens giving us three eggs a day and uh, just just almost completed my eight foot fence to keep the moose out because we have a moose in the neighborhood all the time and uh, if he got into my garden he would just do so much damage you know but yes you know how does one how do I t- so I, what I jokingly say to Carla now the bishop has appointed me to the congregation of my backyard and what I mean by that is all the life forms there I'm going to learn how to relate to them and be a friend you know and benefit and, and make sure that they benefit so for a year I'm going to do that and then and beyond that, I'm hoping to get much more engaged with the seventh story.
0: Well, that's really great. And it's really wonderful. And I want to thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom with us today. And, and I want to say from a personal perspective, I love permaculture design. I think that philosophy in relation to growing things is one of the most fun things I've ever encountered. And I'm a little jealous of you. So if I show up in your backyard, don't be
1: alarmed.
3: (laughs) Not just a little. (laughs) Hey, we'll have to, you guys will have to plan a trip this way and feel free to come stay with us. We've got a basement. So there's plenty of space, really. Once the little one's born and can travel, maybe.
1: (laughs) Yeah, John was actually born in Seattle and I have never been. So I, uh, he only lived there for a year, but I've always wanted to go.
3: And you have vivid memories that first year. Hey, John. (laughs)
0: <laughs> not a one, though I've seen pictures.
1: <laughs> it's been a delightful conversation. Thank you so much for being with us. Or what's our, our yeah, we'll we'll go ahead and I guess move into our final portion of the podcast, which is when we ask everybody, what is giving you life right now in this pandemic that is ending but still persisting mine's kind of shallow but I'll go ahead and go uh, because I actually have one off the top of my head this week after talking about the the beauties of nature and everything I'm going to lift up a tv show (laughs) Um, we have started watching Ted Lasso and it is the best show I've ever seen (laughs) we're only halfway through it Um, but it has very heavy Mr. Rogers vibes so um, that's what's bringing me joy this week
3: (laughs) is it a series or is it a movie
1: It's a series. There's only 10 episodes. It's on Apple TV, which I have a free trial of because of my new iPhone. So we decided to give it a shot because I heard it was good. So Ted Lasso, that's my, that's what's bringing me joy. Yours does not have to be that shallow or silly.
0: (laughs) I will say to back up Sarah's point that Ted Lasso's emotional beats are just truly incredible. I don't know who's writing that show, but I, I cannot you know, even comprehend what it must take to come up with a way to put those things together, especially the soundscape that they have in the back. Anyways, I could gush about this
2: for hours.
0: Garrett, what's bringing you joy right now?
2: (laughs) Oh, boy. Well, as you were talking about the peace cranes, currently outside my window, there is a celebration of life ceremony. And uh, the way that they're celebrating the life of this one man is um, they have a cover band outside playing his favorite songs. And as you were sharing your story, um, like as soon as you started, they began Freebird. and when you <laughs> ended, "Free Bird" essentially ended. Like a couple couple bars after that. So, wow, I was wanting to be a part of that celebration, but you know, I also feel just just as a part of it now because of <laughs> just of all of that. So, yeah,
3: you know, Holy Spirit moments.
1: Roger, what's bringing you life lately?
3: You know, having. Um, I leave, obviously, I've just got a few Sundays left at Covenant, and I'm going miss, to miss some great people tremendously. But you just get to the point in life where perhaps you think, you know, if I don't do it now, I'll never do it. And I, I do want to take peace or nonviolence serious, seriously. For the, for the last few years of my my life formal uh, formal career life but even beyond obviously I'll never retire I don't think but how do i I've got to get my own action my own act together in terms of loving loving creation and um, I want to I want to actually do the work of developing a routine for 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 Kikido that that others can be involved with as well. Um, And then to take this hopefully with me through my engagement with the new story. And I'm part of a small group that's doing some really exciting planning and and thinking. So that's giving me a lot of life.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us, Roger. Uh, If I'm going to share one, I guess I'm going to share the fact that we have discovered a new book to share with our future child. I'm very excited about it. Roger, you're not the only one who read to your child. Uh, I'm currently doing that occasionally with the books that we read, and I thought I was the strangest person in the world.
1: And now we know Roger did it, and Garrett is also doing it with his pregnant wife.
0: (laughs) Oh, so (laughs) good. Not nearly as original as I thought I was.
1: Yeah, but isn't it beautiful that we're all a little bit more alike? We're less alone than we think we are. (laughs) I
0: love that. Thank you, Sarah. So Roger, if people want to look you up and find some of your work and, and what you do, where can they go check you out?
3: You know, um, Jerusalem Cross blog spot, maybe would be the best point as I as I leave uh, Covenant. Um, I'm going to be um, documenting you know, the development of my permaculture garden and thoughts and so on through the Jerusalem cross. But, you know, Jerusalem cross uh, kind of is used by Dr. David Lowe's Watson as the symbol for the covenant discipleship group, group, and it has the four little crosses symbolizing acts of devotional worship, compassion, and justice. Um, and so uh, I have developed a a garden in the sh- a raised bed in the shape of uh, a Jerusalem cross, and uh, the little crosses in each quadrant um, are little planted boxes, and they have herbs planted in them. And so, just as the herbs flavor our meals, so the acts of devotional worship, compassion, and justice, if we faithfully do them, uh, kind of flavor our uh, uh, our walk as disciples as well. So, just want to you know, that's where I'll be writing.
0: Wonderful. Well, if that's not a thought to take with us into the rest of the week, I don't know what is. So thank you guys so much for listening in. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for being a part of this. If you'd like to help support the podcast, you can always check out our bookshop through the website. We've got blogs and other things too. And of course you can like subscribe, et cetera, et cetera, all that other stuff that all the other podcasts are asking (laughs) you to do too. But Regardless, hear this. Have a wonderful week. Hey guys, this is John. Thanks for listening to another great episode of Logosish. This week's music was by AudioNautics.com. If you have any questions or thoughts, or if you'd like to have your music featured on the podcast, be a guest on the podcast, or suggest a topic for us to cover, send us an email to Logosishpod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Logosishpod. Please like, subscribe, and review wherever you downloaded this podcast so that we can get the word out to all all the people who are listening around the world about all the cool and crazy stuff we're working on. Have a great week.